Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. And we have a Jazz Shaper Encore special today as I welcome back onto the show serial entrepreneur and investor Saul Klein. Saul joined me in 2013 and he's here today with the equally, maybe even more so, hugely influential Robin Klein. Not only are they the founding partners of Local Globe, a UK venture capital firm focused on early stage tech startups, but they also happen to be a father and son team. And we'll find out about all of those dynamics at play in that juggling act. Before becoming a full-time investor, Robin built and sold three businesses, the last of which was the Innovations Group, who did the UK's first e-commerce transaction back in 1995. He also sat on PLC boards, including Money Supermarket and Zoopla. Saul was the co-founder and original CEO of Love Film, and has co-founded multiple businesses since, as well as being a member of the council, advising the Prime Minister on science and technology policy issues across government. As investors with Local Globe and Index Ventures before that, they've helped many great tech companies to flourish in the UK and beyond, including Zoopla, TransferWise, CityMapper and Kazoo, all supported from their startup phase. Saul, it's very nice to see you again. It's only been eight years properly. I hope you're doing all right. It's a very important year for you. You're hurtling towards 51. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> nice to see you again. Good, good platform to start from 50. Exactly. It's the best platform, I think, ever. And Robin, also looking 50, maybe a slight, slightly older because you are Saul's father, the proud father. It's very nice to see you too. Thank you. So my immediate thought when I knew I was going to interview the two of you and thinking about lots of father and son acts where the people work together is whose idea was this? Often it comes from the father, not always. Robin, where did this journey begin for the two of you in business? I'm not sure that I could identify whose idea it was because we kind of talked about stuff for years. And I think where it really started was Saul's in the States on the West Coast. I think he was looking at Netscape at the time for the Telegraph. Saul, you can correct me if I'm wrong about that. I was busy running innovations. And and Saul was really excited about what was happening uh, out there. And, and he was saying, you know, Dad, this is the future. And, and I'm looking at this and saying, this internet thing does look pretty intriguing. If I could send catalogs out digitally rather than printing them and sending them out in the millions, wow, wouldn't that transform the business? That's how I remember it. And then Saul came back and we continued to talk about all of this. And I guess it was organic in in many ways. And uh, I mean, Saul went off and did his thing. I was doing my thing, but we were constantly talking to one another and then started to, you know, invest uh, together, you know, family capital, etc. Saul, is that kind of how you remember it? <laughs> yeah, remarkably, it is. I mean, I think it's been, it was very organic and really, I guess, the first time with real intention we decided to work together even though we've been working together since the mid 90s was in 2015 when we left index to start local globe but i think it was sort of a 20 year 
journey, uh, which was very organic, to actually then sort of formally saying not just to one another, but to, to others that, you know, we're actually working together on something. I think the other thing that immediately strikes me, and obviously I, d- I don't know the two of you at all in a personal sense, I only know professionally from reputation and so on, but often in father-son relationships in business, you have the domineering father and you have the, the compliant son. And there's often this power struggle, and whether you see it in the movies or you, you know, between us, we will know many people where this is true. Saul, you're known to be a pretty formidable fellow. You've got your own, you're, you know, you're your own man. So in an environment where there's more, they're both smiling, in an environment where there's obviously both respect from a paternal point of view, but also respect from a professional point of view, it feels like there's a very natural way that you two work, and it isn't about the the primary male in the pack and the and the junior male in the pack. Is that right? I'll ask Saul first. <laughs> oh, I was going to let my dad I could tell you were going to defer that. <laughs> I don't mind who answers. Um, I, I mean, I think... I, I think, you know, what's been pretty unique in the relationship and, you know, as my dad said, when we first started talking about this, it was, you know, I think it was actually me at the at the Telegraph with the Electronic Telegraph and going out and seeing Netscape. And, you know, there was obviously something that I was seeing that was new to to my dad and new to me at the same time. And then that world of internet software, you know, spent time at Microsoft in the US became my career. And it's all all I've ever done professionally. And I think, you know, by the time we started working together more, and then certainly by the time we started Local Globe, you know, as more operating as partners and peers, rather than a sort of a traditional or non-traditional father-son dynamic and I think that that's sort of made things very different is that obviously my dad's got a a set of knowledge and experiences that I don't have and you know we kind of think about things in different ways sometimes and we have different skills and approaches but I think we've always worked much more as peers and partners than anything else which is not always the normal kind of, I guess, father-son dynamic or family dynamic when it comes to families working in business together. I mean, of course, outside of business, I listen to absolutely everything my dad says and, you know, whatever he (laughs) says goes. We're going to hold back before Robin gets to respond because it's time for some more music. But hold that thought, Robin. Um, I'm with Robin Klein and Saul Klein. They're my business shapers here. One of them is an encore. One of them is a father. One of them is a son. And together they are local globe. Saul said your your experience is obviously Robin and your knowledge is different. You've obviously been around longer. You have a different set of skills. But in essence, there is a peer-to-peer relationship, at least within the working environment. Would you concur with Captain Saul? Yeah, I, I would actually. I, I know it would be a lot more fun <laughs> if I didn't, but I, have, I happen to agree. Look, the basis of any partnership is trust. 
And uh, I think it sort of goes without saying that we have this complete and utter trust. And I think the other part is sort of mutual respect for one another's uh, skills and abilities, etc. And we did come from very different uh, spaces. I mean, I, I'm an engineer. I did, did engineering at university, Saul did English, and he's always been a you know brilliant wordsmith and I, I guess... Uh, it's fair to say numbers are more my my thing. But, you know, we've both learned to do a bit of both of those. And I think of all businesses, I think uh, investing in a partnership is one that doesn't demand uh, hierarchy. I mean, we'll come on to Local Globe as a as a business and the fact that Saul is the CEO and he runs the he runs the business. But the nature of investing is partnership. And therefore, what you're looking for is a set of peers who respect one another's strengths and, and weaknesses and who trust one another's judgment all the way. And of course, in a family business, you know, people often tell the horror stories because they're much more fun to talk about. But the reality is that most family businesses of note have super dynamics within them. And there is, as you said, Robin, an implied and a deep and a never-ending pool of trust because of course it's family right and you've got each other's backs in a way that you will probably never have with any other humans in your in your life so just give me a little snapshot for those people that don't know what local globe does firstly what it does and secondly what makes you specifically different in this in this marketplace because of course there are other many other smart investors looking to back really smart ventures Sure. Well, I mean, f first of all, I should say that, you know, Local Globe has evolved a, a lot, actually, in in the five or six years since since we left Index. But Local Globe is is a seed fund. And what that means is that we look to be the first institutional investor, you know, backing founders, looking to build, you mentioned Zoopla, you mentioned TransferWise, Kazoo, businesses that are really going to grow up and mean something and be something. And what we've been able to do initially with Local Globe, where we've made, I think, over 150 investments, even in the last five or six years. But, you know, if you go back to when, when we started is not to support founders on their initial journey from seed stage to Series A, but actually support founders all the way through to IPO and, and beyond. And I think a lot of people in the investing business focus on founders, but often stop short of being able to support people the whole way through. And actually to, to do that, what we've done in the last three years is to create a sister fund to Local Globe that we call Latitude. And Latitude is sort of able to pick up those companies breaking out from the local globe portfolio and others at, at, at that sort of breakout stage and really sort of support them and continue to support them on. So we're really trying to build something in our business that is not just sort of supporting founders and trying to help give them the best possible support on their journey to building a great company but to do it in a way that makes an impact on the society more broadly. And I think this is something that we really care about and care passionately about. And for me, is one of the key drivers of why we set out to do something by ourselves. Because, you know, obviously, when you have a blank piece of paper, you're able to not just focus 
on the economic outcome. And just to give you a sense of that, Local Globe companies have raised $2.4 billion in the last 12 months and over $6.5 billion since 2015. So I think our proposition of helping founders on that journey is substantiated. But, you know, something that really matters to us is the idea that you can do well economically, but you can have a positive social impact. And my dad can talk more about our home at Phoenix Court and the neighborhood that Phoenix Court is in, Summerstown between King's Cross and Houston. But a sort of a huge part of what we're trying to do here is to sort of change the narrative, if you like, on venture capital and on finance and say, you know, we're living in an era now where having a good financial impact is important, but there are much more stakeholders that count in terms of businesses being built. And, you know, we do see that ultimately as one of our core differentiators, but still it's important to the founders that we work with that they know that we can support them in the most critical way, which is going from A to B and for that journey to be one where they're well supported and they're able to raise capital along the way from from great follow-on investors. Stay with me for much more from my business shapers, Robin and Saul Klein. They're the co-founders of Local Globe and serial investors, as you were just hearing, and not just in the economic, but also the social and positive impacts that those investments can make. Right now, though, they'll be back in a moment, by the way, but right now we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishkondorea's Joe Hancock, the head of MDR Cyber, and Katie Ling talk about current trends in cyber fraud and what individuals and companies need to do to protect themselves. The Mishkon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. I think that the main thing is to be proactive and not reactive. We've seen a lot of people will respond once they've been hit by a cyber attack, but in many ways you've lost your data or you've lost a lot of money by doing that. Whereas if you have these systems in place beforehand, then that's going to be much better practice. So as you said there, Katie, being proactive, not reactive, preparing and doing these things first. What can you do to prevent this stuff? Is there anything that can technology help us here? You know, is is it worth kind of building the walls around our organisations higher? Any particular tools or techniques you'd recommend for people? Yep, definitely. And I, I think that this comes back to the basics. You know, I've urged so many people I know to just not use the same password everywhere um, and on every online service use a secure password. And it sounds simple, but just so many people don't do it because if one password is breached, then a criminal has access to anywhere that you've been online. I think that also introducing two-factor authentication is really important. And just these general security checkups that people sort of normally ignore, they can be really helpful in protecting yourself. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can hear all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast, and indeed you can hear this very programme again. Or if you have a smart speaker, you can ask it nicely to play Jazz Shapers, and they will be greeted by many of our recent shows. But back to today, Robin and Saul Klein, serial entrepreneurs and investors, father and son team, 
feels like I'm setting up to, to, to star in a movie. And the founding partners of Local Globe, a UK venture capital firm focusing on early stage tech startups. Robin, when you look at, and Saul just talked about numbers and the, the billions that have been invested, but when you look at the people and they present their wares to you, and many people do, how can you distinguish between those who have great form versus those who have fantastic substance? Because in your neck of the woods, in your world, you will meet plenty of brilliant salespeople, but awful business people. And the flip is also true, awful salespeople, but brilliant. Underneath the bonnet, if you just scratch and you ask the right questions, suddenly you go, hold on a minute, that's where it is. How do you manage to ensure that you find and back the right people? Well, it's not easy. And that's why venture capital, even the best of us, will have large numbers of failures. But I think it starts off with the fundamental mission that we have to find people who are going to harness technology to make a difference. Our core belief is that technology and innovation and entrepreneurship can solve a lot of society's problems. So we're really looking at the individual, what motivates them, where have they come from, what obstacles have they overcome in their past. I mean, a lot of this comes from empathy with with individuals, having been founders ourselves and built businesses ourselves and knowing how difficult it is and the things that can go wrong. As I've often said, maybe instead of engineering, I should have done psychology. It might have given me you know, sort of greater insight in, into what motivates people. But motivation, individuals' motivation is a key determinant, I feel, of future success. And testing that motivation, it requires more than, more than one meeting. And unfortunately, the nature of the business right now is that investments and fundraising is uh, taking place at such a rapid rate. There's such an enormous amount of capital and so many great new concepts coming onto the market that the process is taking a, a lot shorter than it used to. And it does require instinct and the way in which we are we're set up as a firm. We back individuals' instinct and their individual conviction. So we, between us as a group, we look for one of us to have very strong conviction. A lot of people imagine that the investment committee sits around the table and the majority wins or you require unanimity or whatever. We're quite contrarian in that sense, in that any one of us, and that we have eight investment professionals and partners, any one of them can if they can demonstrate conviction in the founder that they wish to back or the founding team they wish to back, then the rest of us will, in the spirit of partnership, back them and trust their judgment. You almost answer my next question because it was about what happens when there's disagreement. What happens, Saul, when you go, Dad, you just got it wrong. Of course you were seduced by A, B and C, but let me tell you why. When that goes on, though, what you're telling me, I think, is that actually if Saul says that and he really believes it, or if you say it, Robin, and you really believe it, you go. You will back. Yeah, I mean, th this is something you talk about trust and you talk about sort of a family dynamic. I mean, in the 20 years that we were investing together before formalizing Local Globe, that's how we operated. You know, if my dad wanted to make an investment, 
and I didn't necessarily see what he was seeing, I'd say what I didn't see, but say, like, if you want to do it, great, let's do it, and vice versa. And what we tried to do as we brought on partners, and, you know, as my dad said, there are six other general partners, there are actually, on top of that, seven other investment professionals, is we're trying to sort of scale that approach. And fundamentally, you know, we talk about two different things. We talk about total football. And what we mean by that, you're smiling. So, you, you know, the, the Ajax Barcelona approach to, you know, the fact that everyone and everyone's position on the team is important and no one player is any more important than the other and that people respect one another's positions and that is that sort of sense of teamwork is very important. The other phrase that we use a lot is crossing the Rubicon. And what that means is that we'll have a discussion. We'll say, this is not something I see. This is not something I agree with. But at the end of the day, like my dad said, if someone says, I really believe in this founder, I really believe in what they're trying to build, not only will we back our partner, but we're not going to look back. And, you know, there's no second guessing decisions that get made. And, you know, those two principles are very fundamental to the culture and the behaviors that we we build inside the organization. And I think hopefully it's empowering to people. And, you know, as my dad said, in in investing, particularly in venture, you get a lot wrong. Those are just the facts. You know, if you go back to the mid 80s and you look at the best funds in the world 62 percent of the capital they invest you get no return on that capital it's like taking 100 pounds into the street and burning 62 pounds and you have to sort of cope with the fact that in our business you are wrong way more often than you're right and then on the flip side of that when you're right you're wrong by orders of magnitude. So, you know, if you said when we first invested in TransferWise, were Tarvet and Christo brilliant entrepreneurs? Yes. Could they build a big business? Yes. Were they playing in an enormous market? Yes. Would you have said the last round would have been at 5 billion? Probably not. I mean, in your best scenario, you may have said, 500 million or 800 million. So the thing that's hard to accept or sort of cognitively dissonant in our business is you're wrong most of the time. And when you're right, you're wrong. And on that note, <laughs> actually, Tavit's been on the program and so has Alex Chessman and a fair few others that you have invested in Tavit of TransferWise, Alex Chessman of many, actually, Kazoo being the most recent, have been on the program before. Robin and Saul Klein are my double act business shapers. They both part of the Jazz Shapers Encore. Eight years ago was the time I met Saul for the first time. Obviously, anyone listening to you will know, oh, they don't sound like they were originally um, born in England. And in fact, even Saul, you were born in Joburg, I believe, and Robin, obviously, or South African. Tell me about the view that you have as an outsider in the sense of being from somewhere else, and I mean that um, geographically, but it could also be other things. It, you were talking, fun enough, earlier about commitment. And there's a, I think it was Goethe who talked about the first act of commitment is actually doing something. Leaving a country is doing something. Investing is doing something. By definition, they aren't the things that you 
usually do. Robin, what made you leave South Africa when you left? And what impact has that had on the way that you view life? Well, I, I was quite young. I was uh, sort of 29. I, I built my first business. And South Africa was in a very, very difficult, it was a very, very difficult time for South Africa. Apartheid was at its peak, really. And I guess my wife and I talked about leaving South Africa for quite some time. And I think the impetus really came about when when Saul was, was born, uh, Saul and uh, our daughter Melanie. Somehow, I just, uh, I couldn't see the future for them. Somehow, my horizon was such that it was too far in, in the future to think that the problems of South Africa could, could ever be solved. And felt that it was really important while I was while we were young enough to make a go of it somewhere else that we should uh, we should go and you know talked about it idly for some time and then an opportunity arose to come and run a, v a very small manufacturing business and we took that opportunity Saul was six and uh, Melanie was four I think your question was how does it shape your uh, attitude well, I mean, for a start, I'm a fierce Anglophile. I can be a bit of a bore on the on the subject. So I, one of the few things that really irritated me about this country when I first came was how English people and British people generally knocked the country. I mean, it was in a bad state, talking about 1976. But, you know, I'd come from a country where there were real problems. There were problems that were easily solved. Whereas here, I felt Britain had so much going for it. And I've, I still feel that today. Maybe that's an immigrant's uh, attitude. Maybe it's just my natural optimism. But uh, that's, that's the way I feel. And a lot of our founders that we backed were, were not born here. And maybe there's something about the immigrant that uh, makes them uh, entrepreneurial. And, yeah. you know, we, I talked earlier about motivation and why you do things. And you know, some of those things are deep within us, but uh, I think it is true of a lot of the founders that we meet. And Saul, turning to you, of course, six years old, 1976, there was no water in the taps, I remember, because it was a particular time when the milk was warm at my local state school. You've been through a system which says, you know, St. Paul's, Cambridge, you've become very much part of the system of having a fantastic life here, really, and I mean, a great start. And obviously your dad, as he just said, came across in in the circumstances that he did. How have you retained that that view? Because I'm sure you again will feel, of course you feel English because you've been here almost all your life, but with a very different backdrop, do you still have that, that edge? Do you think because of that immigrant part of you? Or is that edge just because Saul Klein is the way he is? I mean, I, I've never felt fully at home here, I have to say. Maybe that's because I knew I wasn't born here Maybe that's because I spent time traveling and living in other places. You know, I've lived in in the US, in Israel, spent some time living in South Africa again later on in life. But I have to say, and I know it sounds slightly facetious, one of the big aha moments for me in 1994, when I kind of turned on the internet was like I felt that I'd found my home. And I always used to say, you know, my home's actually on the internet. Now, subsequently, obviously, getting married, having kids, you know, you plant roots. And here I am 
although I didn't grow up in northwest London, living in northwest London. But I've always sort of felt somewhat of an outsider, and I've always sort of felt keen to explore and, and push the boundaries. And I think Britain is an amazing society in that it's given me incredible opportunities. As you said, I've had incredible educational opportunities, you know, that, that uh, you know, a school like St. Paul's offers you, like a university like Cambridge. But I actually have found often the sort of the institutions in the UK to be stifling and including some of those institutions. And actually, as, as soon as I sort of got into the professional world, I felt actually I cannot be within an institutional environment. You know, I need to be able to shape our own space. And again, when we chose where our home should be professionally, we chose our home to be Phoenix Court in Somerstown, which is very much surrounded by institutions. It's next to the British Library. It's next to the Crick Institute. It's next to new institutions like Google and Facebook. But, you know, Somerstown is one of the poorest, lowest income neighborhoods in London. And we have an office there in partnership with Camden Council, who are our landlords at the bottom of a council block. And I still feel the divide in the UK, not just in the UK, but in, in many advanced economies is still profound. And I think that sense of injustice that maybe I saw in South Africa still really drives me in terms of, you know, my professional life. And, you know, my wife, who is South African and only moved to the UK when we got married in, in her late 20s, she definitely helps me and inspires a lot of that drive. But I think a lot of people still feel this sense of injustice. And while the UK has a lot of opportunities, maybe one of the great opportunities we have in the 21st century is to sort of create a more just society. And I think business, we believe, and certainly innovation plays a, a big role in that. And I'm not sure it's always as easy to see that if you're an insider. You know, you can become an insider, you can have aspects of the inside that you can get to see. But I think, you know, one needs to preserve the attitude of an outsider, the attitude of an immigrant. And I think that's pretty deep in my DNA. I mean, and by the way, not just as an ex-South African, but as a wandering Jew. Stay with me for my wandering Jews. There's going to be much more here from Robin and Saul Klein in my last part of uh, this very special Jazz Shapers Encore. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Just for a few more minutes, I'm with my very eloquent business shapers here, Robin and Saul Klein. We've been exploring the notion of being an outsider and the power of being an immigrant when it comes to shaking things up and not accepting the status quo. Saul, you were talking about, and both Robin as well, have both spoken about the injustice. Your values strike me as very, very important to you. And it's not a side that you often hear around VC. Um, and maybe you state it and maybe those people who who talk to you about funding and they, they know it and maybe Camden knows it and so on and so forth. Where we are now is a precarious position for the world. The onslaught of authoritarianism, threats to climate, the rise of people's consciousness around Black Lives Matter, around gender issues and so on and so forth. From the private part of the world that you live in, how important is it 
that governments and public money or public superstructure stuff supports your endeavours? Or can you make the world a better place soulless? I mean, I'm, re- I'm really trying to get to the heart of how much do you need from the state, as it were. Robin, may- maybe you go first on that. Look, I think we fundamentally believe that individuals can and do make a difference. At the heart of what we do is the belief in the individual. But the framework around them obviously needs to be supportive and it needs to allow them to do that. And I think, you know, Saul's point about pushing against institutions, and part of that, by the way, comes from his mother, who has always also felt stifled by institutions. And the reason for it is, I guess, because we believe that individuals can make the difference. It is frustrating when institutions don't facilitate that. You know, talk about our values, how we translate that in our business is by evolving and creating a culture within the company. And your companies talk about culture a lot and think about it a lot, but it all comes from walking the walk or walking the talk and the behaviors that people see from the leadership. And I think this is where I hope that we've set a framework within our institution, because once you become a venture capitalist, you become an institution. So we're railing against all these institutions, but we are ourselves one, and we need to recognize that. But we we are fortunate in that we can shape that. And, and that's what I hope we're doing. And I think the people within our organization, I think, could equally sit here and talk about all of these things that we have. Mm. And I think that's where I think we derive the greatest pride in what we've achieved so far, and we know we're just at the beginning, is that we do have a bunch of people with us who believe in the things that we, that we believe in. Saul, just talking to you today with your dad, family always gives context, right? Always, your brain is, I always believe when I'm with my family, my, I'm thinking different thoughts. I can't help it. I may be me, but there's definitely, you're in, you're in an environment which obviously is familiar and you can fight in that environment in a healthy way. It strikes me today that you really mean this. Just looking at you when you're, when your dad's talking and the way that you listen to him and the way you, you know, you express yourself, you take this responsibility very seriously. Does that continue to liberate you because it makes you a fighter? Because it it feels like it does. And how do you harness that sense of I'm going to make a difference in a positive way? Because it can go another way, can't it? It can become, it could become angry. It could become negative. How do you ensure that it remains a force for positivity, which I think it is doing, but how have you managed to tread that line carefully? First of all, it's a journey And part of that journey is sort of taking advantage of the opportunities that you've been given. I mean, you talked about schooling, university, growing up in a in a supportive family with parents who met when they were 12 years old at school. I mean, all of that gives you opportunity, but then you have to decide what you're going to do. And the choices that you make and the family that you start and the environment you create for yourself, you know, as you said, all provides the context and the opportunities. And I've been very, very lucky. And I've also been very lucky professionally, not just with the businesses that I've been involved in, like Love Film or Skype, but the partnerships that I've been part of, like Index. And, you know, I know you had one of my former partners, Danny, 
uh, Reimer on on the show before. I've learned a lot from some great people, but at, at a certain point in your life, you also have to decide how are you going to take all of those opportunities and have hopefully a positive impact. And this is what I think we've been trying to do in the last five years. And, you know, as my dad said, what we're trying to do is to build something that lasts beyond not just the two of us, but potentially beyond the next generation as well. And, you know, we have a a mission internally, we call it the Osselston Street mission. And Osselston Street is the road that goes alongside our building in Phoenix Court. And on the left-hand side of Osselston Street is the Crick Institute, the Cathedral of Genomics and Life Science. There's the British Library, you know, which is literally all of this country's knowledge, including the Magna Carta in one place, and the Turing Institute. And 20 yards across the road on the right-hand side is the oldest housing estate in London, where the capstone was laid by the then Minister of Health, Neville Chamberlain. And literally those 10 yards are like from the earth to the moon. And so we believe if we make a positive impact in this society, it'll be because people can walk 10 yards from one side of the road to the other and not feel the level of social and income inequality that still exists in a country, as my dad said, that has incredible opportunity and assets. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. It's definitely a thought to ponder from the earth to the moon in 10 yards. <laughs> I love the way you explained it, but you're, but you're absolutely right. Listen, we're going to run out of time. So before we do, thank you, both of you, uh, for making this time in our new virtual world. Just before I let you both go, and I don't know who's going to tell me this, but what is your song choice and why have you chosen it? Might be Saul. I think the song choice, which was a crowdsourced at my house, is Summertime. And the, the why is it is, a, I think, a kind of a, a jazz classic. And, you know, many people have sung it, but it's the, it's the song that we've sung to our kids pretty much every night when they go to sleep, at least up until the age of six or seven. And it's turned from summertime to tea time to school time to whatever. But I really like, I've always liked the Janis Joplin version of it because I think it's an insider song, but she's got an outsider take on it. That was Summertime from Janis Joplin, her version of it, and the song choice of my business shapers today, Saul and Robin Klein. They talked about being outsiders, and indeed Saul said the first time he felt like an insider was at the advent of the internet back in 1994. They talked about looking for those founders who are full of motivation, and they talked about the conviction that they have as investors. And if one of them wants to invest, even if the other seven don't, they will do it. And they talked really critically about it not being enough to purely deliver economic results, but that you have to think about your societal impact as well. Fantastic stuff. That's it from Jazz Shapers and me. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.